Welcome. Thank you for joining us on the third episode of the Kentucky Dad Podcast, brought to you by SB Nations, a sea of blue. I'm Drew Brown, and, and today I'm going to have a really nice guest. We've had some really good ones lined up already, so if you haven't listened to episodes one and two, we had TJ Beisner and Justin Rowland on there. They were both fantastic, and if you're a new listener to the Kentucky Dad podcast, it, it is kind of just how it sounds. It's where, you know, UK sports figures come on, and we, we talk about not just the everyday things and happenings of Kentucky athletics, but more about them as fathers and what's going on in our life otherwise, because it's kind of things that, that we're always talking about in general. So this is something I'm really excited about. It's got some, some new inspiration, and whether you're a father or not, I hope you're still listening and can kind of get to know these guys a little bit better. So check out, check out episodes one and two if you haven't. You can find those on Apple Podcasts. And follow us on Twitter at Kentucky Dad Pod. But man, I'm sure this guest gets this a lot. But I was nine years old in 1996, so he's one of my all-time idols and somebody very near and dear to the Big Blue Nation. So Tony Delk, thank you so much for um, agreeing to come on to the new Kentucky Dad Podcast. Drew, it's my pleasure to come on, man, and be a guest. And uh, like you said. Right now is a dark time for some, but we're trying to think positive, and our prayers go out to those people who have been affected by COVID-19. Yes, and that was kind of one of the things, and reaching every day, Tony, to kind of find some benefits and things, I guess, to kind of improve myself as a person as we're going through all these difficult changes. But one of them was at least had a little bit more time in March, you know, than, than I wanted to. Definitely, I didn't get a chance to, you know, travel with the team and follow the tournament, so I was sitting there at work one day and I'm like, you know, this has been on my mind. So I had some time and I'm like, you know, let's go ahead and get this podcast rolling. And so far, it's been a blast, man. I've enjoyed talking about my kids. Anytime you get me on the radio, that, that's pretty much all I'm doing anyway, or at least trying not at least trying not to. So um, first off, Tony, man, because I'm not even exactly sure. Why don't you just tell us a little bit? Um, I know I've bumped into you. I know you have your commentator stuff, but what are you up to these days? program. I have the uh, TV Basketball Academy, and you know, the people here in Atlanta, Georgia uh, have really supported me. They've done a great job, so before everything happened, we had planned on having uh, the different tournaments that we were going to go to, and one that I've been having in the Kentucky area, I did it last year in Erlang, and this year I was going to do it at uh, KBC uh, in Lexington, Kentucky, was the uh, Tony Delk uh, Tournament of Champions, so we were really geared up, ready for that. My kids were excited, so I have uh, six AAU teams, a third, fifth, uh, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, and I have a ninth, tenth grade. So uh, kids were excited about, you know, just the opportunity just to go some of these uh, different places. But also, you know, it, it was more about how can I bring something positive, but also something beneficial to the kids and kind of teach them what I was taught growing up from my brothers and uh, some of the great coaches that I had. So really just really working on the Tony Duck Basketball Academy. Also the Lorenzo's Wine, which is, uh, you can get at T.L. Duck Enterprises, and it's sold at Wildside Winery. And I have three different wines, a Cabernet, a Chard, and a Riesling. My Cabernet is one year in Black Bourbon Barrel. So really just focusing on some of my other business ventures, but the one that, that really brings the most excitement, the one I love the most, 
is definitely the TD Basketball Academy. So are you kind of like the director or do you like coaching? Because I have a 12-year-old daughter and we're going to get into a little bit more about your kids. But and I thought that the, if you knew me, you would probably think, man, Drew, you got to coach basketball. That's right up your alley. But boy, I found out very quick. It is not something that I enjoy. So do you coach as well? No, you know what? It's, it's, it's funny because all the teams and you know, all the parents, of course, would love for me to coach. But I told them I said I really enjoyed just being a director, being the president of Tony Duck Basketball Academy. And I uh, have some really good friends. And they're volunteering to help me uh, to help help me coach these kids. But, you know, I'm, I'm there pretty much every day with putting in drills, uh, teaching the kids about the fundamentals of basketball. And uh, so I'm doing my part as a director, president. But I have guys who are going to coach my teams, and I'm just going to step back and, you know, try to manage the parents. While they manage the kids, I'm going to try to manage the parents. Yeah, huh, I hear that. That was what I struggled with, too. I'm like, man, it's really hard for me to tell other people's kids what to do. Like, what what's my avenue if they just say no? So... I struggle with that, but um, tell us about your kids, Tony, so I know that, uh, well, let me ask you this first, so we briefly met at the SEC tournament last year, unfortunately didn't get that opportunity this year, and we talked about our kids for a little bit, I had just had a son, and it's okay if you don't, I'm sure you probably forgot, but do you remember what you told me about um, girls and boys, I guess, if you have girls or boys? No, no, I don't remember, I, I, I talked to some of the people, I try to give some some sound advice, and a lot of advice comes from experience. I think, yes. I think your advice was very sound because, again, I had just had my son. My son was born in late February last year. So this he's probably just less than a month old. And I'm sure I was just glowing, like I said, telling everyone within an earshot about that. And you said that, because um, I, if I remember right, you have uh, several girls. So you told me that... Lucky that I have my girl as well, because boys will not take care of you when you get older, but girls will. <laughs> hey, hey, I will say this. Girls love their father and father. And, uh, you know, that's the one thing I have, have been joyful of and excited about, you know, just uh, having my oldest daughter, who's a 21-year-old. She's in college. And, uh, you know, I told her she's quarantined in her apartment. And she's mm-hmm. been following the rules and listening to her dad. But just the... Just being there for them. I mean, I really enjoy just uh, seeing my girls grow. Because 14, 16, and 21 all have different personalities, you know, and, and and none of them play basketball. So although we didn't have the kind of connection to sports that I would have loved to have had, you know, they, they have found their own path. And uh, just because you have a parent that loves something don't mean that that's, that's going to be the road that you travel down. So you have to, as a kid, find out, what brings you happy? happiness? And although we want to do whatever we can to keep our parents happy, I think most importantly, we got to find out what is it that we love. And for me growing up, uh, I didn't have parents that played either sport. I had older brothers that played basketball. So it really didn't come from my, from my mom and dad. It came from just the stories I heard about my brothers and then my brothers getting out in the backyard and spending time with me and they wanted to just uh, improve and get better, you know, and then before I knew it, I fell in love with basketball. That's interesting, man. Something we're going to have to hit as we talk a little bit because you're my third guest, and that's now three times in a row that the kids haven't been, I guess, that interested in the sport that their parent was most linked to. And I found that interesting and also great because in each story, I can already hear you you telling it a little bit. It's because those parents kind of gave their kids freedom to like, hey, just because I'm you know involved with basketball doesn't mean you have to be. And they found different things that they like. Okay, so you got three girls then, 14, 16, and 21. What are their names? 
Taylor is my oldest, Bella is my middle daughter, and then there's Trinity. So I have two T's and um, and one B, and and if she would have been a T, but I decided not to uh, to, uh, to turn her name into a T. So I would have had three T's. But I, I think what you know what I enjoy about you know just the girls is uh, you know just getting a chance to see them grow, you know, mature as uh, as young women, you know. And I think when you're you're a father, especially early on. You know, you're trying to do everything you can to put your kids in the right situation. But as a man having daughters, you know, you want to make sure you protect them, provide for them, and profess to them. And then you got to show them how much you love them. So when they go out and they start dating or they meet a man or they uh, become a wife someday, is you know, they look at their dad and say, you know what? I want somebody that gave me, that, that can understand me, but also understand how, how being independent allows me to make my own decisions. So... What I talk to my girls mostly about is being independent, you know, being able to take care of yourself and, uh, you know, and be a boss. You know, why can't you be a boss? You know, I think with all the opportunities that women are, uh, that they, they have in front of them, you know, women are really taking advantage of uh, all the opportunities that, that's presented in front of them. And what I know is, even running my business, is that I like to have women because I know women keep things in structure. They keep, they, they have, they make sure things are structured and organized, but also they take care of their business that's spot on and my situation is because I'm sitting here thinking about you with at some point you know having those three young daughters and how much of a challenge that was and and now you're at some tough ages too my daughter Lily's 12 and then my son like I said is just one so I have like it can be the, the versatility I have to put different capes on really fast but as my daughter matures into that older age where I mean boys and all that's becoming a real thing you know we got the warnings for 10 12 years and now that it's here you're right that was good advice for me because I'm looking for any way just to position her to be you know respected and make her own decisions and, and not potentially because you know what the what was the saying that everybody told us when once you had that daughter was all there you know you remember you when you were that age so uh now that's where my mindset's at so that that's good stuff only just for you to share as much or as little whatever about like your childhood growing up and any father figures that you had and kind of how that maybe you know molded you into the parent that you are today well, I, I think, Drew, the most important thing was, as, as I referenced earlier in our conversation, was not pushing your kids into something that you love. And my parents didn't do that. You know, it was more about me going out in the backyard, playing basketball, and you know, when it was time to come in, she would scream my name, and I probably would stay out there for another two or three hours. But even as I started playing and, and, and becoming more competitive, playing middle school and high school, was that... You know, she never really, at any point in time, I walked in the house, and I had older parents. My mom, my mom was 43, and my dad was 55 uh, when I was conceived. And, of course, all of my siblings were 15 to 20 years older than I was. So, really, I kind of grew up as the only child, but I also had seven siblings. And what really helped me was after every game, I could walk in the house, and we never discussed basketball. So, it wasn't like a drive home from the game to we get to the house where everything I did wrong is what you did. None of that happened. So when I walked in, there was never any pressure. So that probably allowed me to go out and play a lot more freely than some of my other peers and, and, and not worry about my mom and dad really caring about if I scored 40 points, 50 points. They really didn't care. It was like, you know what, are you enjoying yourself? Are you having fun? And most importantly, my mom was about, are you taking care of your grades? If you don't make good grades, you're not going to play basketball anyway. So she only cared about my grades. And basketball was something that having older siblings, you know, I, I just wanted to 
you know, listen to them as mentors and as sponges, you know, I became a sponge. You know, I was I was absorbed and taking all the information and I would go out there on the back on the, in my backyard and I would apply that and I did it every day. And I did it, I spent hours doing it. So being a kid was really growing up and really just isolate myself and, and really just focusing on basketball and not having a whole lot of distractions. Good stuff. That's another big takeaway for me already because, again, this is only our third one and I see so many similarities because TJ Beisner told a, a very um, similar kind of way that he handles his son after games. And, and I don't do this and it's been eye-opening for me. A family mantra that they follow is something along the lines of like, he'll give one piece of advice and one thing maybe they could have done differently. And then from there, it's dead, it's done, on to the next game. You know, they don't talk about it anymore. Yeah. So I know that I'm terrible. Like I said, you know, before she even gets her seatbelt buckled, I'm probably like, be more aggressive, you know, that girl. And it's, right. out, it's out of a place of love. You know, we know that. I always tell her that. But that's a big one for me because I know I can remember those car rides too and um it speaks to major success that you know tj's kids and then you too have because you're right maybe it does give you that sense to to be yourself a little more and not worry about pleasing a parent well i tell you what, what, what it really did was it really just made me just not really not really worry about making mistakes i think so many times and, and you know you can contest with this is that you're really playing not to not, not to not to make a mistake. You're playing to be perfect. And there's no perfect game, you know, as far as, like, when you're going out and, you know, not not getting beat off the dribble, uh, you know, turn the ball over, missing shots. Like, all that is part of basketball. And when you have parents that keep harping on it over and over again, it's, to me, it always drives kids crazy. So I try to give it at least, you know, I, I try to tell my parents, you know, although you might watch your kid play, when, before you come talk to myself or coach, Give it a day or two, because right now we all are, you know, our, our, all our emotions are involved, caught up into this game, and I don't want to say anything to upset you as a parent. Give me time and get my coaches time, you know, to talk to their kids, but also to replay what happened in their head and see how we can help our kids and put them in the best situation so they can be, be successful. But so many times parents are so engaged and, and they're they're so so involved with their kids is that as soon as the game is over, they want to talk to the coach. They want to talk to the kids. And what I was taught, you know, just as, as a parent and also as a kid growing up having parents, that really allowed me just to be a kid at the end of the day and, and just told me, hey, enjoy, enjoy what you're doing and you're going to make mistakes. No one is perfect. And if you have a coach that understands and plays the game, he's going to tell those kids the same thing. You know what? I'm going to be hard on you, but if you give me 100%, we win or we lose. I'm going to be happy. Maybe that's a lot too, Tony, because you mentioned your parents were a little, you know, older when they had you. It's probably, you know, they had a lot of wisdom um, to present and they have been around the block with that, especially you mentioned they, they, they your, your brothers. They might have been, t- hey, been tired, man. Hey, when you get to your eighth child, you know, it's like, oh my God, you know, hey, we're going to let him do whatever, but we're going to be relaxed. Also, my parents were married for 50 years, so it wasn't like my dad had eight other, eight other baby mamas. Like, and my mom and the one thing I, you know, that I lost my mom in 07, lost my dad in 03, but when I told my friend just a couple of days ago, I said, the great thing I had was, because I had older parents, every day I came home, I saw my parents, you know, because they were old, they wasn't working, and my dad was retired, but I said, I enjoyed that time that I got a chance to see my parents every day. I said, well, my stuff and probably you, we're constantly working, so we're kind of passing, we were kind of passing by, so we're... We're seeing our kids, but we're not really seeing them grow. My mom and dad really saw me develop into a young man, and uh, you know, I was 
I, I was grateful that I got a chance to spend so much time with him. I lost him in my thirties, but uh, when I look back to my elementary days, all the way up to me uh, getting to my thirties, was that I enjoyed every conversation, every every picture I took with them. Uh, every time, like I said, I got a chance to be around them. You know, because sometimes being around your parents and not saying anything, it, it, it just like I said, it's a feeling that as they have have been deceased for so many years, you know, I'm like, man, I cherish those moments. Yeah, I bet you do. And that's a, that's a great example, man. Married for 50 years. And I know that that's one thing that it does not go untouched for variability in just home life. And did you have step parents? Were your parents together? Did you split households? And everything's different for everybody. And I'm sure it shapes them differently. But that I'm sure that was a, has to be, you know, just a huge part of your life, having parents like that, that, that stay together. And especially I've noticed a difference now, too, Tony, just like covering Kentucky basketball and getting exposure to, you know, these young players like you were at one point when you were at Kentucky and just a different dynamic. And you can kind of tell who really comes from, you know, parents that probably are maybe don't even have a father figure for them to, um, to look up to and follow. And just I can't imagine the, the challenges, you know, when you get to making some of these decisions that they have to make and being on this stage. So that's great, man. And that's something that I know I'm striving for. I'm uh, my, my wife is stepmom to my oldest daughter to my older, my daughter. Um, so she never thought she was going to have a sibling or anything. And now that she does, and we talk about it every day, just, right. you know, the will to keep that together, no matter what, it's, you know, this for life and really trying to set that example because it's not that common. No, it, it, it's really not, you know, and, you know, when, when I look back, like I said, you know, mom and dad was, one of the reasons why I chose to go to Kentucky, I remember when Coach Tino came in the house, some of the coaches, you know, they did a, a great job in the recruiting business, but I think what really sold me was when he said, man, we, we were, we're going to have all these televised games and we're going to come, you know, we're going to come down to Tennessee, we're going to have a game in Memphis. And so he made some promises that he knew would make my parents happy because even going back to having older parents is that my dad never saw me play in person. Another thing, too, about having older parents, uh, you know, and, and my parents, we didn't have a car. So I grew up without a car. Neither one of my Neither one of my parents could drive, and uh, so most of the time I was either on my I was either on my bike or walking. Or my brothers who were older, they would come out and pick us up, or neighbors, or we might hop in a taxi. So my mom only went to she went to she went to my middle school game, my last my eighth grade middle school game, the last game, and my senior high school game. And my dad never saw me play until I played on TV when I was at the University of Kentucky. So that meant. A lot more to me, and I think when Coach Tino and Billy Donovan came in, I said, man, I really want my mom and dad, especially my dad. I said, I want my dad to see me perform and see how, what kind of player I have become. And when my dad was able to watch me, he was like, wow, man, I wish I, I wish I had been, I wish I had been going to some games, but you know, he was older. He, and with them being older, they, they kind of felt out of place, you know, and, and as a kid, you're not really thinking like that. You know, you want your parents to be there to support you. So that part I miss, but as far as, uh, you know, them being my biggest fans, especially when I made it to the NBA, you know, I, I knew they, you know, they shared in all my great moments, although they wasn't there. Uh, do you remember, Tony, I got to ask you, do you remember how many points you dropped in the first game that your dad saw you play on TV? I know what to be honest. I don't, I don't recall. You know, I was, I'm telling you, I, I, I went so long without having, you know, having my mom and dad, you know, in the stands or sit there and cheer me on is that, you know, every every game was played, you know, for them, especially when I got on TV. But, you know, even being a, a high school player, you know, my dad, he, listen, he, 
he never missed a game. He always listened to the game on the radio. So, so to be, so to, to let you know how old my dad was, my dad was born in 1918. So, my wow. dad grew up. When I tell you, like, went through the Great Depression, mm-hmm. through the World War II, he was a part of so many different decades of changes. And just to hear the stories and just to know when he was born, and you know, that was to me as a young kid growing up. Like, I really just like to sit there. And talk to my dad just about life. You know, he was just telling me about all the things that took place. So when you think about, you know, my dad was in his sixties. I was, you know, approaching being a teenager. But my dad had 50, 60 years of stories. And some of, them, as my mom said, she was like, "This story was fabricated." You know, so she knew the story that was true and the story that wasn't true. But you know, still, my dad when he was telling stories, I was like all ears. I bet, man. I I love American history, so I like picking the brains of people that have kind of lived through some of that stuff. And I always tell the story, but my dad would take me to like Civil War reenactments and stuff. He's just huge into the Civil War, and especially being in Kentucky where there's so many tie-ins. So that was good, man. Thank you for walking us through that. I I didn't know any of that stuff, so it was nice to kind of get an idea of where you started. And I'm excited to talk a little bit more about Natters. And I have a story that I want to tell. I meant to tell this before, but I'm going to tell a story um, about actually the first time I ever met you, which I know you don't remember but first let's take a quick commercial break here All right, we're back on the Kentucky Dad Podcast, brought to you by SB Nations of Sea of Blue, episode three with Tony Dilk. I'm going great. I'm so glad he's on. And uh, man, I have so I, I'm and again, I'm sure you get this stuff all the time, but know that it comes from a legitimate place again. Because I was born in 1987, so I was I was nine years old in 1996. And man, to say that I thought you know you guys hung the moon, they, they still tease me um, in '97 about how much I I cried and didn't handle that loss well. My mom didn't let me watch the. T- title game the following year because of it but all right so I'm, I'm gonna set the stage a little bit tony so the first time i ever met you obviously you guys won the title and now you do your autograph tours and stuff and and this goes way back because this was actually at allied sporting goods back in the day oh god um wow. yeah and i don't even know if those were like local to kentucky if that was a chain what but uh my louisvillians will know that it was in the like dixie highway shopping center by like service merchandise and the dixie dozen and so my mom agrees to take me we lived in Shively, we didn't live far from there. We get there, and man, it, there must be a line. I mean, and we're talking hours and hours. They warned us, hey, it's going to be so long. And my mom's like, I'm not waiting. I'm not waiting. So I'm just begging her. No, it, meant, it meant the world to me. And so the more, the whole point of the long story is that was the first time in my life that um, I got to stay somewhere by myself. My mom trusted me. She said, hey, I'm going to leave you here, and I'll be back in a couple hours. And um, I can, I swear, I can almost remember the whole waiting in line, who I was standing with, and I'm getting there to meet you. So I always remember that and kind of tied it into the dad podcast of uh it being the first time my mother trusted me right and i think that you know that, that's the one thing that you i try to tell my kids i say being a coach and having a coach i say what you're trying to do as a player is you're trying to, to gain and earn your coach's trust when a coach is when a coach trusts you just like your parents i say we're going to allow you to be independent at some point in time i say most of the time when when kids get hurt or injured is when they're not with their parents so kind of like having older parents, I always thought in their minds, like, would my mom, would she approve of this? You know, and the same thing with kids is that how do you earn that trust? Like your mom, you know, she trusted you enough because what you gave her enough body of work that she felt comfortable enough to leave you. But there's other kids, like, you, and you got to know your kids, too. There's certain kids you can't leave, and you don't know what they're going to do. 
That's a fair point, but I was bad as hell, Tony. So she must she might have just been wanting to break and was tired that day too. Now that I now that I think back on it, that that's probably likely. But okay, so now let's talk about you now. So um, we know that you have uh, Trinity, Bella, and Taylor. So what is like your family makeup now? I know that you probably still travel a lot. Like you know, how often? What do you guys try to do? And then also, what have, what have been your COVID nineteen like coping strategies? Because we've been talking a lot about that. Because things are surely different. But, but a good thing with the girls is just having, you know, making sure they still stay engaged in school. Because although, you know, they're out of school, they still have uh, everyday uh, routines and activities during the week of uh, when they're in school. They just got off of uh, spring break. And my oldest, you know, she's doing taking her online classes. Uh, really, really impressed with her. She's a 3.5 student, and you know, she's been a stellar a stellar student, but also just a, when I'm, you know, and I think we all give our kids credit and love our kids. You know, and I, I'm I, I'm really a, I'm a critic, even with my own kids, even with myself as a kid. You know, but she's been impressive. You know, she has a good mind on her, and I'm just hoping that she continue continue to be a good role model to her sister. And uh, what I've been doing for my for all of my teams is I, I probably shot about ten videos just out in the uh, uh, outside. You know, have a little court outside, so just kind of sending out probably two minute drills and stuff that I would do as a kid, but kind of things to keep them engaged in this time of, of isolation. And uh, I probably did about, I want to say maybe about 30 minutes an hour of content. So I try to shoot, try to do, send out two videos each day to all my kids. So in my program, I probably have about 60 to 80 kids. And uh, so I tell them also, hey, when you get time, send me a workout. Let me see what you're doing. So when this, when this is over, and we're back, you know, we get back in the gym, we start training and have practice. I don't want my, I know my kids going to be out of shape, but also I want them to take this time to learn and watch the game and be creative. I said, you need to go outside and work on some things. I said, I'm going to give you some basic fundamentals, but also I need you to be creative with what I'm giving you and add on to it. See if you can become a better shooter, a better ball handler. See if your speed can get better. So really it's just kind of giving them a, a platform but also giving them some content that they can watch and then I told them I said don't feel don't, don't be afraid you know you can reach out to me and uh, and I try to stay engaged as much as I can with my kids and that's a kind of hit a point on my daughter right now because she's she's gonna be big she's like I said she's 12 she's probably five eight so all the coaches want her you know working and stuff and but she never really had that kind of natural feel for the game she just didn't play a lot like just by herself so since this happened we bought a basketball goal and she's just been doing what every kid should do you know just standing out there under the street like getting shots up you know just by themselves and she came in the other night and said that she's like man you're, you were all right all these years there like shooting basketball by yourself is really nice so I'm hoping she kind of gets some of that creativity and you know her own feel for the game because too often it's probably you know people just in their ears and stuff so maybe this will, will be a good time for um, athletes especially to kind of readjust their their fundamentals and kind of the way they approach the game a little bit yeah I think you really just got to concentrate on you know I told them when I say every, I say every summer you know whether it was in middle school high school or college even in NBA I wanted to get better so I use the summer as not time to hang out with my friends and be you know do things that I shouldn't be doing I use the summer months as months for me to improve and be better than when my season ended. And that's something I did each and every year by setting my own goals. Because what you do is you set your own goals. And what I tell my kids, even when I'm speaking to them, you can't lie to the person in the mirror. You can lie to your mom, your dad, the coaches, your teachers, 
but when it comes to who you are, if you look in the mirror, that's who you are. And if you change the narrative, which every kid has the opportunity to change the narrative, is when you start, when the light really, when, it, when, it, when the switch comes on, it's when you realize, man, you know what? I really got to spend more time doing something that I love, but also even if you don't love it, is, you know, you got to create an opportunity for yourself because if something can be given to you, it can be taken away. I tell them, I say, you know, when I first got to Kentucky, is, you know, I didn't start. I said, I had all these accolades coming out of high school, but my first couple of games, I played a little bit early, but as the season progressed, I said, I was on the bench. I sit back and watch like Jamal Mashburn and Dale Brown and Travis, Travis Forrest. I, I was watching that. I became a fan, but I didn't like it. You know, I said, being competitive means, you know what, I'm going to put my all into it, and nothing's going to stop me from being the player I know I can be. What about um, just the pandemic and how are you kind of keeping your head on straight and stuff like that? Because I've seen you recently, Tony, so I know you, you probably stay pretty physically active because you still look good. So what have been some of your strategies and stuff just to keep some normality to your routine? Well, I think for myself, just, you know, jogging, jogging throughout the neighborhood. I have a pretty nice little weight set downstairs, so I get a chance to go down and Left a little bit, and every once in a while I have a key to the gym, I'll go in like I did today. I just went in and did some running by myself, you know, just to just to kind of change up the, the scenery, but also to do something totally different. And I, I think just being, thinking back to my younger years, I was always creative. I did a, I spent a lot of time by myself. So although, you know, there were kids in the neighborhood, I had to go and be by myself. Like I, I, like I can be by myself as an adult, which I'm fine with spending time by myself because you got to love yourself. Like, if you don't love you, how do you expect somebody else to love you if you don't love yourself? Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time loving myself and spending time with myself so I can be by myself and be fine whether, you know, I can be reading a book, I can go outside. You know, I'm going to find something to engage my brain. And, you know, and I was also really used into, as a kid, just playing, uh, playing, a, lot of, uh, playing a lot of video games. Oh, really? I, I wouldn't have expected that. I, that's so funny you said that because I, I literally almost just said you don't strike me as a guy that will like play video games and stuff. So you did. You do. Um, do you still play video games now? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. You got to for, for all the listeners like I've been hooked on Candy Crush about five years now. So <laughs> I, I think I'm, I think I'm at level 6,000 and 300 or something. So I've been playing it for five years. <laughs> and the reason how I got on it was my daughter, uh, she was in the hospital. And she was like, Dad, I can't get past the stage right here. So I was like, all right, so let me do it. I said, I'm being, being the dad. I'm going to get you passes. And uh, five years later, I'm still playing Candy Crush. That's funny. Yeah, thank you. It has been about five years, I think, since that craze rolled through. And I just told uh, TJ Walker from Kentucky Roll Call, I did some radio with him last week. And he he recommended her a game, an app, or something like that. And every time I say, man, if you say it's addictive, I try to avoid it. I don't play it one time. Because the last thing I need is to be buried in my phone more. That's why we have like a one and a half type social media rule here. Like I have Twitter and I can use Instagram a little, but we're limited to that because it gets out of hand. But that's funny. I I wouldn't have. What type of a what about when you were growing up? What what video games would you play? Growing, uh, growing up, one of my, two of my, oh, I had three games I really liked. I liked Miss Pac-Man, and uh, Galaxy was another game I was really good at. But the game I really fell in love with, and it was called Gunsmoke. So Gunsmoke, I was doing, I was at the Nike uh, Mumba Academy last year, and uh, so they invite all the top players in the country out to uh, California. And when I'm out there, I went down to, uh, they had a lower level. 
And I just happened to be down there. They had like ping pong, a ping pong table, pool table, and then they had an arcade room. So I walk in and I see Gunsmoke. But when I tell you I must have spent four hours down there playing Gunsmoke, I seriously spent four hours playing Gunsmoke. And I was down there every every night. So we was, I think I spent about eight to ten days in, in California. I played Gunsmoke probably about a total of about 30 to 40 hours. I mean, I because that's how I was as a kid. Like, I didn't have any, like, the, no drugs, no alcohol, none of that kind of addiction, no gambling. But I love games. And I could play games all night. Nice, that's funny. I would, I would definitely have not have pictured that, so that's good. I'm glad you mentioned that. One other thing I wanted to talk to you about, Tony, is just like you can just tell in talking to you, and I didn't even plan to ask you anything about this, but just in hearing you speak, it's just so evident and stuff. So I actually work in banking as like my normal job. I just work at a consumer bank, and I'd done that a few years. It just amazed me. Like I was there, and I'm like, you know, I just cannot believe that kids will go through 12 years of funded school, get out, and not know how to write a check, what a debit card is, what interest rates are. So I kind of started a program where I would just go to elementary schools. I started at my daughter's and just do very, very, very basic financial literacy courses. And I'd find out a lot of times that the teachers were just as interested in the kids because again, it's just something for whatever reason that we don't teach our youth. And I think we're getting better about it. I know actually a bill was passed here in Kentucky in 2018 that that should help, but it seems like you've done a really good job of managing your money and just doing a good job of making sure you were set up well after basketball ball because we know right. that that's not something that's typical and you know even players that were in similar areas that Kentucky have been used as examples for that so seems like you've done a really good job of that and, and your parents set you up well to be successful off the yeah, court you know, to be honest with you you know growing up poor you know and living off welfare I didn't really have you know the, the, my parents didn't have the financial background that you know a middle class or upper class had but you know um I learned a lot as I went to college and, and as I graduated from college, you know, hiring Rick Abar, who uh, taught me so much, you know, just about money. And although I didn't have a lot of interest in it at the time, I mean, I have, of course, the last 10 to 15 years, I have a lot more interest in it now because I'm older now. And, you know, your brain thinks differently as you get older. You know, I, I always think, I always said to myself, what if I had my brain now 20 years ago? different decisions I would have made financially, the things, the people I would have been around, how I would have spent my money would have been totally different. But the good thing about, you know, having made millions of dollars is, you know, I got a lot of things out of the way that, that I that I wanted and I enjoyed. And where I'm at now, I'm comfortable now, you know. And, and that's the point of, in life where you want to go through life and not feel the pressure of, like, an everyday job or, you know, every, every paycheck matters, you know, like, like paycheck to paycheck I never really want to be that person. But also, you know, as I, as you said, stated earlier, is teaching your kids about finance, teaching them how to write checks, teaching them uh, how to budget money. So that's something that my parents wasn't able to teach me. It wasn't because they didn't want to. They didn't have the knowledge. And that's the one thing that you got to have to share with your kids. you got to have the knowledge in something that, that interests them. And as a, as a 13, 14, that's like what interests kids. Let's, let's be honest here. If I'm coming in trying to teach you a class about money and finances, no kids want to hear that. They're going to be like, that's boring to me. You know, I want to be a kid. But you have, every child is different. And even as I speak to my older daughter, you know, she just she just started understanding what I was telling her a few years ago. And we've been having these conversations since she was like 13, 14. But once again, she started listening to me when she turned 20. And she was like, Dad, can you help me with this? I'm like, hey, what about filing your taxes? I said, you know, you had a job. You got to learn how to file your taxes. And I'll put you in contact with some people that can help you 
uh, you know, advise you in impact tax planning. So as parents, we got to put our kids and, and expose them to what they don't know and some of the things that we don't know. But we're not, as, as I tell my kids, as being a parent, we're not perfect. We made just a mistake or even more mistakes than you made. But what we're doing is, you know, we're trying to help you eliminate some of the mistakes by teaching you the things that, teaching you or from experience. Yeah, and I use a quote every time I do one of those. I use the Kanye West quote that is just so true to me when you're talking about just money and, you know, what you need in your life to be happy. And it's having money is not everything, but not having it is. And that's so true because I tell them I meet wealthy people all day that, you know, just don't seem happy. They're just disgruntled. You know, all the money in the world wouldn't make them happy. But, you know, if you don't have money to pay your rent, put food on the table, you can pretty much guarantee a life of unhappiness. So finding that balance in between, I think, is so important and particularly particularly just breaking the cycle of, of poverty. A lot of times that, you know, you just see that just poverty that just goes from generation to generation. And, you know, my daughter's in public school and I try to just explain to her how even um, right now, you know, with some of these kids that, that don't have school to go to, aren't even getting a good meal and just the importance of that. So I know it's something that's important to me and I try to pass down and hopefully more people do the same because it really does make a difference. Well, I think, I think with my kids, because my kids, you know, have never seen poor. Like, I grew mm-hmm. up poor. So, it's really taking them back to my roots and, and, and the house that I grew up in, you know, and he was sharing the stories with them. And as I stated earlier, not having a car, living off of welfare, you know, we, I, I think with my mom and dad with the welfare check, we probably brought in, I want to say $700 a month. We lived off $700 a month from, I guess, elementary until I graduated. You know, our rent was probably $80. And I want to say 60, 60 of that was going towards the uh, towards the interest. So you're talking about probably paying twenty to thirty dollars on, on the principal for about thirty or forty years, you know. And my parents have lived in, in the house that I grew up in. We I think we've been there for like forty or fifty years. We still haven't paid the house off. So when I finally made it to the NBA, that was the first thing I was, that I that I was going to do for my mom. I paid I paid that house off that she that we grew up in. Then I bought her a house, and I paid that house off for her. So she never had, once I made it, she never had a mortgage on a house. So as a kid, I saw how we grew up. I saw what we didn't have, and I wanted to make sure that, you know, in my mom's last years of living, I didn't know how long she was going to live. I'm like, he's going to be, from a financial standpoint, she's not going to have to worry about any money as long as I have money. And I made, I made that was a promise I made to her. And like I said, like, I promised her I was going to graduate from college. And I also made a promise to myself. I'm like, I'm going to take care of my mom until she dies. And that was my ultimate goal in life. And that, like I said, that was the most gratifying uh, thing that I could have done. But also, it was just a token of a token of appreciation for what her and my dad did for me and my siblings growing up. Exactly, man. I think that that's probably the number one story you hear now. Just people get into the league or whatever it is in their life and and wanted to make sure that their mothers are taken care of because especially once you get to our age and you know you're you have kids yourself you, you know that that sacrifice and stuff that needs to be made but one other story too that i wanted to share was it was kind of funny because um hopefully i can get this one going i've been having the most technical problems with the kentucky dad podcast i've done 500 other ones and 
finally get something I'm really excited about and it's been glitching. But anyway, I needed to borrow her phone for this one. It's actually the phone that I called you from. And so then she wanted to know a little bit about you. You know, like, oh, who, I told her already. And, oh, who'd you say it was? Who'd you say? So, you know, of course, I go, I tell her the Kentucky stuff and she's kind of not listening as much. And then I'm like, he scored 53 points in an NBA game and her head popped up. Oh, you're calling him from my phone. What's his name? What's his name? So she was excited then. So, I mean, you never know what will capture the kid's attention. Yeah, you, you never know. And I think uh, uh, just like maybe two weeks ago, a guy called me, one of the writers from uh, West Tennessee, and he was talking about the, the, the best 30 players, you know, the, the, best, uh, the best players in West Tennessee over the last 30 years, you know, and I said, man, you know, I couldn't, of course, vote for myself, but I said the best player that I ever saw was Kenny Hardaway. I said, I mean, I went and watched Kenny, and I said, I was a kid that, you know, my mouth was just open the whole time, and Kenny was only two years older than I was, but... Just how his approach and just his, the, the, the gift that he was blessed with, you know. And I think when, when kids hear stories, you know, there had to be something that kept, that captured them, you know. And, and the first thing I say, I say, think about this, I say, as a high school player, I, I almost outscored a team. I scored 74, they scored 72. They're like, how is that possible? I say, you know what? I say, God gave me a gift of scoring. So, and that, with that gift, I said, I worked extremely hard at it. I said, you know, I, I wanted to be one of the lead scorers in the country, not only at, at, in, in my, my area, I said, but in the state, but nationally. But what you have to do is, and you have to understand, I said, you have to be mentally tough, knowing that every night somebody's going to try to stop you, whether it's a boxing one, two guys guarding you, is a coach got a, a, a game plan just to slow you down. I said, but every night, my job was, and I took it as a job, I say, it's a guard that score points to help my team win games. Hey, I saw you snuck that in there too, Tony. So how, how many points you scored and what, what was your career? Was that your career high at any level? Uh, yeah, 70 was my career high at, on any level, yes. Yes, it was. Was that in high school? Yeah, that was my senior year of high school. Um, and I, I never forget the game because the team that we played against had, beat, had beaten us at a team camp. And their players were talking like a lot of trash. And I was like, all right, cool. I said, you know what? We're going to see y'all doing the regular season. Now, what happened was we were up like maybe 30 points. And coach was getting ready to take me out of the game. And some of my teammates, one of my teammates, Tyrone Hans, who went to the University of Tennessee, he was like, coach, leave Tony in. Let's see how many points you can get. So long story short, I get my 70. And after the game, their coach who went to college with my brother, he was ready to fight my coach because he felt like he ran up the scores. So we go back, long, long story short, we played them in their gym and they held the ball. So they was like, you would not get, <laughs> you would not get your 70 points and you would not get 100 points. So they held the ball for a few minutes, so uh, a few minutes in the fourth quarter. And uh, so we ended up winning the game. Nice. Yeah, I was going to kind of ask, too, because in high school, man, that's short quarters. You, you, somebody's got to be mad at somebody to let a kid light them up like that. Um, so that that's good stuff. And I'm, I'm glad you got the chance because I think all too often, especially at the college level, when a player has a chance to do something, you know, they got to get pulled out. And man, it's like, you know, you only get so especially these with the way that your college career is short. I'm like, come on, they only, they only got so many minutes. Let them shoot the ball. Yeah, you know what? And it was a funny story that when I was, so when I had, before Jody Beach broke my three-point record, I think Derek Miller had the record at eight. So we were playing against TCU. We was up 20 or 30 points. And I had seven threes. I was like, you know, so seven threes and coaches. So one of the players was like, coach, you know, the record is eight. You know, at least let him break the record. So coach put me back in the game. No lie, I take two shots. 
I make both threes, and he takes it right out. So, with about maybe 10 minutes to go in the game, and I'm thinking to myself, like, I'm about to get, like, 13, 14 threes. I'm about to, <laughs> about to put up some more threes. I made, I took two shots. I came right out of the game. And I'm looking at him like, you know, that was one of those games, and, and players, we know it. Like, like there, there is a game every player's had it where you don't think you can miss. And that was one of those games where I took 12 threes. I made nine of them. And the two that I made were two that I just came right off the bench, hit two shots, and he took them right out of the game. So I was like, man. So when Jody B broke my record, I was like, you know what? <laughs> I think I could have put a, a couple more threes behind their record. But Coach Patino pulled me out. And who knows what could happen? I should have probably stayed in and got injured. You know, so with, with coaching decisions, um, you know, you have to make tough decisions sometimes. Well, one thing that surprised me, too, as we can kind of wrap up here, is that with your 53 points against Sacramento on January 2nd, 2001, it lists your career high in threes made at six um, the following year. So that means you hit less than six threes that game, which I think I do remember that now because you were just mid-ranging them to death, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mid-range was... But something that my brother and I worked on as a as a middle school kid, high school kid, like that was like my bread and butter. Like I love to shoot mid range shots, and although I shot, I took a lot of threes. You know, I still really worked on my mid range game. And I think that's the one that's the one part of basketball that we don't see a lot of now. I mean, I, I mean, I love I love the landscape of the game. I love the, where the game is there right now with uh, the you know so many guys from one to five shooting threes, but. I thought what made my game, what defined my game was not relying on the three-point shot, but also mid-range and getting to the basket. So we worked on every level of the game. And, uh, you know, even when I work with my kids, I do the personal training. You know, we work in and out and back in. So really teaching them layups, mid-range, threes, mid-range, back to layups. Yeah, well, I mean, 70 in high school, national championship ring, 53 in the league. It obviously works. So, man, Tony, thank you so much. Again, I know you probably hear that all the time, but generally, as soon as you agreed to come on, that was the first person I screenshotted and sent to my mom. And she was just, you know, giving me the, the full circle speech because she, she will still mention that um, about me waiting for you in line. So thank you. It meant a lot to me. Tell I know. Your mom, tell your mom hello, man. Tell your mom hello from me and uh, tell us. Thanks for bringing you and dropping you off and trusting you that you can get this that you can that you can stay in place and stay and stay focused and get your get your uh, get a signal from us. I'm going to look for the poster that you signed because I can close my eyes and see it. And I just moved last year. And if, if I have it, I know where it's going to be. So I'm going to look for that. So thank you again. And I know I had put you on the spot a little bit, but we usually do end it with a dad joke. So did you have a dad joke that you like or that's your favorite? I think about dad jokes. I, I have some corny ones. And, and the, one, the one I always tell my girls is, you know, is when I, <laughs> I say the funny thing, and they'll, they'll laugh at me and they'll be like, dad, you know what? That was such a corny joke as we just told. I, I always tell them, I say, well, I said, why Why did the pitcher go to jail? And they was like, why? I said, because the pitcher got free. <laughs> and they were like, that, that, that was such a bad joke that I was like, you know what? I'm going to keep that to myself next time. <laughs> hey, there's no such thing as a bad dad joke. That's why I love them. And uh, I really like teasing new dads because you just kind of come on to them, you know, without even realizing it. But um, I just looked at this one. So I, I do an easy one too. my dad joke to end it. What does a house wear? A dress. So I haven't seen that one before, but I'm trying to put one online every day on our Twitter page. So please follow at Kentucky Dad Pod. Man, it gets challenging, you know, and you gotta get one every day. But um, love the dad jokes. And again, Tony, thank you, man. Really appreciate you talking. 
especially the stuff about early in life. I think I, I love hearing about that stuff and just hearing how you were able to accomplish all of that. So we will try to have you on again in the future. And man, keep keep okay. being a great dad to your three daughters. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take okay. care of yourself.